The Bellows Unions and Associations. Welcome back to the Title Block, a podcast to put Canadian theater designers, their history, and their craft. I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and this time, The Bellows is back in a timely fashion with a panel about unions and associations. Christopher Ross of The Bellows moderates a discussion with Megan Speakman, Sally Roberts, and Simon Rossiter about our labor representatives in theater, specifically Actors' Equity, the International Alliance of Stage and Theater Employees, or IATSE, or just the IA, and the Associated Designers of Canada. And yes, we do acknowledge that the uh, Toronto Musicians Association, Local 149 of the Canadian Federation of Musicians and the American Federation of Musicians, was not represented. We kind of left them out. But um, we should bring them on in the future. Perhaps a show about uh, music rights. That might be a good combo. I just want to stand in solidarity with my union sisters and brothers at IAA Local 58, who are currently locked out of the exhibition grounds by the City of Toronto, and have been since July 20th of this year, a period that included one of the busiest times of the year at the X, and that's hurt a lot of union families hard. Solidarity forever, comrades. You deserve to be back to work. We now have close to 3,000 people a month, can you believe it, accessing the podcast, which includes many working professionals in Canadian theatre. Thank you so much for listening, and I ask that you consider going over to patreon.com and support the show. As a bit of an incentive, I am organizing quick follows-up with designers we've had on the show, including Kevin Lamont and Michelle Ramsey, to name just a few. And these 20-minute catch-ups will be available exclusively to Patreon supporters. They will not be released to the public. This will launch near the end of October, so if you want to get access, please go and support the show to hear what your favorite designers have been up to since we interviewed them oh so many years ago. But for now, please enjoy this presentation of The Bellows, Unions and Associations. Hi. So before we begin, um, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional keepers of this land, the Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and most recently, the uh, Mississaugas of the New Credit. Uh, Toronto takes part in the wampum belt uh, the, of the dish with one spoon, uh, the tenants of which say that this is uh, one dish and we're all responsible for keeping it full and for taking care of the land as well as uh, there are no knives at the table. So we're all, uh, we have to all make sure to be taking care of each other and living peacefully together. There's only one spoon and we all have to share it. Um, so miigwech. Uh, welcome to the Bellows. This is our first panel of the season. Yay! Our 2018-2019 season is starting. Uh, my name is Pip Bradford. I'm Rebecca Hooten. Uh, behind us is Chris Ross on his cellular telephone. Uh, and not here tonight is Kevin Hudson and Michael Cruz of the Title Block Podcast. Uh, we are the Bellows, and so are all of, all of you. Oh, well, we did good. it. Yeah, we nailed it. Uh, I feel positively about that. <laughs> Starting it off with a bang. Um, so we'd like to first thank uh, of the uh, the TPM uh, staff and everybody who's here today, uh, especially Jen, our lovely bartender. Woo! Uh, we love bartenders. Woo! Jen also books all of these for yeah. me. <laughs> so like she makes she it really happen. Makes it happen in a very and real Chantel way. Chantel downstairs. She's Chantel brilliant. downstairs. Front of house. Yep. Um, and we'd like to thank you all for coming. Um, 
we, we, I think we should just I think talk we should about the panel. talk about the panel, I guess, a little bit. So our, our first panel of the season, we're going to be talking about unions and associations, uh, the shadowy organizations that uh, guide our professional <laughs> lives in the production community. And behind us, we have three brave souls who've been willing to come forward and speak about these organizations that <laughs> they belong to. I'm just joking. Unions and associations are baller. I love that. I'm very pro, pro, into pro them. Pro yeah. those things. It's a cabal meeting. It's, it's a cabal like meeting. That's what this is. It's a coven meeting. Later <laughs> we're going right. to light candles and it'll be a big thing. Um, <laughs> off, off mic. Um, <laughs> yeah, no recording. But we'll just, yeah, let's stop talking. And we will give it over <laughs> to you lovely folks who have come here to tell us about all sorts of intelligent and lovely things. Um, as always, if you have a question or if at any point you want to speak during this panel, just raise your hand. I will have this microphone and I will come and you can talk into it. Uh, that's basically how this works. Uh, with no further ado, like Chris Ross, do you want to take this away? I sure do. Uh, hey, everybody. So um, we're just going to start off, obviously, you know, we're talking about unions and associations. So uh, my name is Christopher Ross, and I'm not a part of any unions or associations, but we have three wonderful people here who are. So uh, just going down the line, uh, who are you, uh, what do you do, and uh, what union or association are you a part of? I am Megan Speakman. I am a stage manager, and I am part of the Canadian Actors' Equity Association. I'm Sally Roberts. I am a stagehand, but primarily a lighting technician and a house technician, and I'm an apprentice with IATSE Local 58. <laughs> uh, I'm Simon Rossiter. I'm a lighting designer in town, uh, and I'm a member of the board of directors, in fact, of the Associated Designers of Canada. Cool. And Very not cool. represented to my left is the Toronto Musicians Association, which is also a local... I know. I, I said that to Gail <laughs> earlier today. I was like, I bet nobody has thought about it because nobody ever does. <laughs> and it's their own fault. We'd like to say a, an apology quickly to the Toronto <laughs> Musicians Association. Also, who Simon we... said it's their own fault. Uh, remember, remember Simon's for that. Um, so, okay. First off, uh, this, is, this is just sort of an information question. Does anybody know the difference between a union and an association? I had to read a lot online about it. So. <laughs> I mean, I know one, I don't know all the details, but I know a couple things. Uh, I think unions have to do more with like a location, like location wise, whereas like performers are like all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, and definitely something to do with, uh, maybe this is not true. Please research this. Uh, <laughs> Like, I know, uh, as far as IATSE goes, like, you have set rates, whereas, like, uh, in equity, there's, like, minimum rates, and people mm. are able to negotiate above those, which I don't think you can do in a union. You can. You can. Yeah. Okay, this is all lies, then. Never yeah. mind. Yeah, I, actually, to be honest, I don't, other than maybe some of the sort of legal obligations that the organizations have, uh, I actually don't know, like, I think associations are ultimately more flexible because mm. yeah. we don't actually have as much power yep. as yeah. a union I think does. A, I think an association is a group of people doing similar things that choose to negotiate and bargain together and set a standard and are recognized because of their existence. And I think a union is more so um, a group of people that do the same sort of thing or are in the same place that are legally uh, identified as a bargaining unit mm -hmm. for contracts. Damn. So that's what I went. Yeah. yeah. Uh, essentially, uh, anyone can form an association. Associations are mainly sort of based around professions, 
uh, an employer can form an association, whereas only workers can form a union, and employers are legally required to bargain with a union, whereas you can make an association and say, hey, we want to discuss things, and the employer can legally say, oh, we don't care. Whereas <laughs> the union <laughs> have to. Um, it's just a little piece of information. And to, to the point about sort of the ability to bargain up, for example, mm -hmm. I mean, I at see, by and large in this country, certainly in terms of the stagehands, uh, sets rates, and that's mm -hmm. what it is. Um, I, I don't know specifically in terms of cinematographers, for example, which is an IA local. Uh, I'm presuming that it sort of sits as a bargaining floor mm -hmm. from which you can work up. Um, but what I know is in the United States, designers, rather than being a professional association, are in fact IATSE members. Oh. But the, oh. <clears throat> the contract structure is essentially the same as ours, where it's a uh, a, a fee floor from which you can negotiate up, mm -hmm. but there's just slightly different, um, again, employer recognitions yeah. of the organizations. Cool. Parameters. cool. Um, so just because we have, obviously there are three people here, but uh, their unions are wide and vast. Uh, just real quick, uh, who do your unions or, or associations represent? Uh, mine is uh, performers, which includes dancers, singers, actors, or whatever they uh, do. And uh, directors, choreographers, fight directors, and stage managers. Yep. We, IATSE Local 58 represents stagehands in Toronto, uh, including the projectionists for uh, things like TIFF and hot dogs, um, lighting technicians, sound technicians, carpenters, um, for many of the major venues in Toronto. Um, IATSE International spans out as far as film technicians, craft services people, film cameramen, um, props, costumes, etc., etc., etc. If it's live events or recorded events, we've probably got a finger on it somewhere cool. in North America. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even in this city, uh, at some of the big theaters, front of house staff. Yes, you're right. Thank are, you. I forgot about that. So um, box office and ushers. And yeah, which I didn't realize until I was reading actually a little bit yeah. about it. I didn't realize that was the case. Yeah. B37? B B173B. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Um, the Associated Designers of Canada, uh, we're a professional association, not a union. Uh, and we uh, represent all designers working in live performance, whether it be uh, scenic designers, costume designers, lighting designers, sound designers or video designers. Um, and uh, what's interesting about all of the groups, thinking about the, the way in which the sectors of uh, the arts are divided in Canada, there's at, at a federal level, there are recognition of each of these three organizations as being the representative voice mm -hmm. for members of that community. So the Associated Designers is rec represented or rep recognized by the federal government as the voice for designers in English-speaking Canada. So there's a separate organization that represents designers in Quebec in the same way that equity represents all of the groups that Megan mentioned in uh, English-speaking Canada, and then there's a different union that represents uh, performers in Quebec. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Union des artistes. And um, also um, TFT. And I say, and in fact, the French Theatre in Toronto uses a Union des Artistes contract as opposed to an equity contract. Um, Simon, does ABC do anything with film and TV work? Uh, I mean, many of our members will work in that okay. area, but we don't formally, as an organization, thought, yeah. we're not recognized as the representative voice of the, that industry. Cool. Um, most of those people would, in fact, 
fall under IATSE yeah, that's right. uh, as part of the various departments in film. 822, 828, 873. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> there we go. So many numbers. So many letters. And in fact, there's a lot of crossover between, I, don't, I mean, even with equity, there's a bit, but there's a lot of crossover between IA members and ADC members, for mm. example. Designers who will work in a variety of disciplines or designers who sometimes work as stage managers. Mm -hmm. So there's, to be a part of one organization is not to silo oneself uh, in just one field. Um, now, I'm not going to like test you guys on this, especially if it's been a while <laughs> since, you, uh, since you joined, but uh, can you tell me what like, the basic requirements are to join each of your unions or associations? Uh, it depends on what job you're doing. Let's go for stage managers <laughs> for, yeah, uh, for your specific discipline. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really speak to all the other uh, folks that are part of the association, but for stage manager, uh, you start as an apprentice. Um, and you have to do uh, six apprentice credits. Um, if, you're, if you do them all with different theater companies, you have to do eight if you do them all with the same theater company. Um, and uh, it has to be done within three years. Uh, and they've actually recently added a cap that you can't do more than 10, because I think people were like really going for it with the apprenticing. Um, which makes sense. Like I, I would say do as many as you can, because it's a way to get in with uh, theater companies that uh, you might not be able to get in with later uh, while you're because they're like oh we'll just hire this new apprentice uh, so yeah which is really great and then uh, once you do that um, every time you do an apprentice credit the theater company uh, will pay an apprentice credit fee which goes towards your joining fee uh, to be part of equity and then uh, when you do join you have to pay the rest of that joining fee um, and then you get all the Lovely benefits of being an equity member. Hooray! To totally get into. Yeah. I'm sure there are many. <laughs> um, with IATSE, we start with a, a call list of permittee workers, which are non-members, um, because we often have days where calls are there are more calls to fill than people in the membership. We're only a member uh, have a membership of just over 400. Um, so to become a permittee, you submit a resume to the office. They're always looking for uh, skills like consoles, operating, um, carpentry skills, rigging skills. And if you've been to school, even better, we've got a whole bunch of apprentices from Ryerson in New York and Humber and a couple from Sheridan. Um, so that's if you've done live events work, you can submit uh, your resume and you start as a permittee. And then to become an apprentice, uh, you get interviewed by our screening board and your name gets put forth to the membership and you get voted on to become an apprentice. And the apprenticeship is three years long and you don't make different rates or anything different between permittee and apprentice. It's just um, the apprenticeship is a learning process for um, what I'm learning for union values as much as for skill set. And it gives you the opportunity to work in any of the same call as anyone else would, but uh, but you're, that's your learning phase, and then you get voted on one more time to become a member, and then you're set with all of those lovely things. And also, uh, your benefits and all of the pros of becoming a member kick in about after your first year of apprenticeship. So, so as an apprentice, you're just kind of like, people are a little gentler with you um, while you're still learning? Um... <laughs> In theory, <laughs> there's definitely the opportunity because we have venues um, that are specifically learning venues, so you have those gotcha. opportunities, and um, we have mentoring programs for apprentices, cool. um, and 
I mean, the old saying goes that you're not allowed to say no to work when you're apprentice. They're much more lax on that now than they used to be because people have lives and it's a real thing. So um, the apprenticeship really is, uh, I don't want to say like spiritual or like, but it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's, be, it's being brought into the process. Cool. That's, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> the ADC nationwide is a smaller organization than IATSE in Toronto. So if you've got about 400 members, we've got about 250, 260 nationwide. So it's a, a very different kind of organization. Um, but we're, we're largely a sort of um, a, a community-oriented association uh, in terms of both trying to create um, uh, opportunities for mentorship and connection with the next generation of designers between uh, experienced designers and uh, new designers as well as trying to represent uh, our members and the community as a whole to producers. Um, so the membership uh, process for us is a little bit different. It's based on peer, uh, peer reference into the organization. So we have three membership levels, student membership, anybody who is a student is welcome to join the organization and start to get some of the information that we uh, put out for membership and have access to some of the details about um, how to negotiate, et cetera. Um, uh, an associate membership, which is for somebody who's perhaps no longer a student but doesn't have a lot of professional experience um, or who doesn't necessarily have an income yet that can support membership. Designers uh, are not often as well paid as we'd like to believe they should be. <laughs> So uh, to have an associate membership for young designers uh, is something that we think is really important. Um, and then a full membership for those who are active, professional, um, and we sort of define professional as having a certain number of uh, professional credits as a, either an associate member or as a non-member already under your belt. And then the reference of colleagues in the community that can recommend you to the membership. Uh, and then as a board, we... Uh, we uh, approve all of the new members that come on. Cool. Um, like how, like what, this is a weird question and maybe none of you are qualified to answer this question, but like what per, like what percentage or what, like even if it's like maybe half or maybe like three quarters of the people working in the field that are currently working in the field are part of those equity union associations. Certainly, um, I and mean, we uh, it varies a lot depending on the nature of the the venue or the scale of the work. Mm -hmm. We do kind of try to keep a gauge of that, in part because of how we try to work with producers. It helps us to have an understanding of how much of the community we represent. Um, I think the last time we looked at it, uh, and it, it's growing every year. So it's been maybe two years since I last looked at it, but we've been on a big membership tear in the last uh, 18 months. But it was about 50 to 60% of the community we represent. You get into larger venues like the major festivals, Shaw and Stratford, and that number grows substantially. So the larger and more established the theater, uh, generally speaking, the more members you'll see. And then the smaller or newer or more indie the theater, the fewer members you'll see. Um, as a part of that, at, a, at sort of like Mervish level, or that is like everybody, or like well, Mervish is its own special okay, thing because they don't yeah. hire Canadians. <laughs> so, with the exception, of course, when they produce local, you know, what is it, Studio One Eighty? I think often gets put up there, and they do yeah. those those little ones. Yeah. You will often see members okay. that are engaged. Um, 
but usually, in fact, the Mervishes aren't engaging those people. The Mervishes are right. giving a present presentation fee to some other company, and that other company is hiring the designers. Yeah. So, um, uh, and it's you know I don't fault them for not hiring. They're bringing in American touring shows that mm-hmm. weren't designed by Canadians. So, fair. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <clears throat> um, for IATSE 58, uh, we're venue based, and I think Toronto's. It's funny because if you do comparisons to IATSEs in other um, major cities, there's usually like a predominant either union or non-union slant, and Toronto's one of those cities that has a much more ba- closer balance, and it's a cool city for that reason, where we all have figured out where we work together, and um, so in the major theaters like the Princess of Wales, the Royal Alex. Um, all the Mervish theaters, that's IATSE venues for sure. Um, and then the big like Air Canada Centre. Um, so I'd say it's about 50-50. That'd be my guesstimate yeah. at the moment. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, like basically, like it's interesting with Sally because functionally we do the same job, but she's union and I'm not union. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I think I'd say like 50-50. Yeah. yeah. Get, that's what I'd be guesstimating. There is a scale... Did, yeah. Like by and large, the bigger theaters. Yeah, I was going to say that's the same yeah. way you said. And the, oh, yeah, the small yeah, exactly. Yeah. The same way you said totally. the bigger yeah. ones. And that it number speaks to sort of a career growth question in a yeah. way, for right? sure. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, I have n- no kind of specific idea about uh, percentage numbers, but I would say uh, of the three of us and stage managers, anyway, I can't speak to other things. Stage managers, I would say probably the highest percentage out of uh, these three groups here uh, has members, like working stage managers are members of equity rather than independent. I think the kind of largest number of, or group of people who aren't are probably young, new people doing a lot of like indie theater and stuff, but a lot of those people are looking to become apprentices and then join. There are a few uh, kind of career stage managers who've decided not to become equity for various reasons because there are various uh, venues or types of shows that will hire non-equity stage managers and uh, very people have found success in kind of doing those specific things. But as far as like, uh, I think it parallels similar things. Like the bigger the theater, you're almost <laughs> yeah. always equity. And in fact, they kind of need to hire equity stage managers if they want to hire equity performers mm-hmm. as well. Um, well yeah. And, um, equity is an interesting one, I think, just because if we look at uh, theater, professional theater in Canada, mm-hmm. in terms of PACT um, and all of those companies, equity is the only one that has a, essentially an exclusive agreement with PACT. So if yeah. you're doing a show in a theater that is a member of PACT, you are going to hire equity members, mm-hmm. whereas you may not necessarily be hiring um, ADC designers and you may not necessarily be in an IATSE venue, mm-hmm. but you are obligated to the provisions of the Canadian Theatre Agreement. So it is kind of an interesting one. It's mm-hmm. one of, in fact, the most ingrained of the associations mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of the theatre community that that yeah. performance. Yes. I mean, IATSE is tied to venues, so you do more concert venues mm-hmm. as well as theater venues. Mm-hmm. Whereas, also, sorry. No, I, I say whereas, whereas equity is like if you're an actor and you're working in professional theater, chances are mm-hmm. somewhere along the lines you've joined equity. Also worth noting, even if you're doing a show or an event outside of an IATSE venue, any company, group, show, event can contact IATSE 
for crew and staffing that um, through IATSE payroll. So you just create your own agreement with the business agent. And um, so for example, we did we just did an event at Blue Mountain Resort because it was a union conference that has that hires union labor. And every now and then we go into the Metro Toronto Convention Center um, because I can't remember. There's one specific union that does, or the Canadian Labor Federation is a big example for did, that did their show there, and they would like to have union technicians. So cool. it takes it takes some talking and negotiations and pre-planning. You can't just call up Nelson and say, "Hey, I'd like ten guys tomorrow." It's not that easy. Yeah, but, I couldn't go to that uh, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little short. Can I have? But like, that is an yeah. option that's available cool. to to non-union venues or events. With um. With stage managers uh, and with equity, specifically, I know like a lot of dance stage managers are not mm-hmm. equity. Um, that's an example, just like sort of a offshoot yeah. of like a lot of people who do that thing or not. Because and that's part, partly because a lot of dancers aren't equity. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's yeah. uh, dance equity stage managers is definitely like bigger theaters have are more likely to have like the ballet. I think there's uh, two for sure there's has two equity dance companies in the country. I believe, yeah. and I think it's the national. And the Royal Winnipeg, I mm. think. And then I the Alberta Ballet is oh, equity. that's true, yeah. They're actually, fun fact, they're actually a union there, not an association at right. the Alberta Ballet, for reasons that I am not aware of, but <laughs> they are. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah, but... Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so once you're in the union slash association, how do you get your work? Because I know there's a big difference between how... Uh, Sally's work comes down versus how your guys' work comes down. So uh, can you explain, like, where does your work come from? Uh, various places. <laughs> uh, I, the one, the kind of uh, big source of work is uh, there's an e-drive, uh, which anyone can sign up for. You don't have to be a member of Equity. And I recommend anyone who works in theater sign up for this because not only do Equity jobs come through, it's jobs for production managers or stage, like, just crew people. Like, all these good things uh, filter through the eDrive. Uh, yeah, you just go to the Equity website, website, click on eDrive, sign up, there you go. Uh, so that's where a company will submit uh, a form, filling out information, say who they want. Uh, then it gets emailed out to everyone on the list, and then people will apply for it. Uh, that is kind of a, a big way it goes out, but that is actually not the main way that I have experienced getting work, or I think many people. It's basically uh, someone I know will ask me if I'm available, and I say yes or no. And that's kind of the main way that I get work, whether it's a director I know, uh, or uh, if I'm the stage manager, or a theater company I've worked before, worked with before, or someone who knows someone in the theater company I've worked with before, or a stage manager who wants to hire me as an ASM. It's definitely, sadly, all about who you know. Uh, you can get lucky and... Uh, respond to one of those e-drives and then you've made some more new connections, great. Uh, but generally, yeah, it's yeah. word of mouth, uh, hearing about things, being recommended by other people. So if like yeah. someone I know was offered a job, they turned it down, then they might recommend me. Or And I do that. If I can't do a job, I have like a list of people that I say, anyone available for this? That kind of thing. Pretty similar to the indie, indie yeah. theater world, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's start with Simon, because I think your answer is going to be very similar. I was going to say, dumb luck. That's how yeah. I find yep. work. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it doesn't change whether you're a member of an association or not. Um, where the association can be helpful is in trying to, because as independent contractors, we're negotiating our own contract. We don't have a predefined 
but we don't necessarily have a predefined contract if we're not a member. The, the association doesn't necessarily help you find work. And I think you guys have had in previous panels designers have it like totally. that career going. Yeah. So it's no different whether you're a member or a non-member, but what we offer is once that offer has come to you, once somebody has said we'd like to hire you, that's where what we try to offer is uh, tools to facilitate your contract negotiation. Yeah. S uh, standard contracts, terms, things that will ensure that um, as somebody who's being hired, you're not being yeah. taken advantage of by your producer. Yeah, you still gotta hustle for your own work, but ADC will make sure you get paid. Well, for well it. we'll do our best. <laughs> Don't try. It's hard as they If nothing else, we'll oh, make God. sure that the contract says that you have to get paid. <laughs> there you go. Pass that. Um, yeah. So should, Sally would be. I should say, but there's one more mechanism that Equity has for yeah. uh, work, which is an availability list. Um, I know it exists for stage managers anyway. So like if you are not on contract, there's a list uh, cool. somewhere on their website or like that people can, uh, employers can access to see who is not on contract for a period of time. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe I've been contacted like twice by being on that list. Yeah. And I don't even know necessarily if that's why I've, maybe I've been contacted because I've been recommended. I never know if I've been contacted because I'm on that list or not. But I mean, it's good that it's there because if someone's like really like, ah, I don't have anyone, then they can cool. refer to this availability list. And actually, Sally, right before you answer, just rapid fire before I forget to, to uh, question it. How long have you each been uh, members of your uh, association of South unions? Megan? Uh, since 2012. Sally? I've been an apprentice for two years, but I started catching uh, about eight years ago. Cool. Uh, four years. Cool. Awesome. Uh, now, yeah, that's that's so long. That's awesome. You're, you're the Association Union veteran. <laughs> um, okay, Sally, uh, same question. How do you get your... You um, so, I, at C58 operates on a skill set and seniority basis. So, we have a call list of people. And once you become an apprentice, you're given a number. Um, and that number is one is high and it works its way down. So our, we have a business agent and a call steward and there's a list of all the work that is available for the day and they start at the top of the seniority list and work their way through. And that sounds much more intimidating when you're thinking it's 400 people that they're calling every day. Um, but you have to remember that when we have house venues such as the Royal Alex and the Princess of Wales or Canadian Stage, um, those jobs come through like any other job. So when, um, for example, I'm the head technician for Berkeley at Canadian Stage for the Downstairs Theatre. And when that job came up, I submitted my resume for it. There was an interview. Um, a bunch of other people submitted their members or apprentices submitted their resumes for it. And regardless of seniority, they picked the person they wanted for the job. Cool. And it was me. Um, cool. And so that's how the venue positions get filled once you're an apprentice. And as I mentioned before, the call list of permits um, is where it goes to. But the, the skill set over seniority is the important part. So it's not just the guy at the top of the list gets his choice of whatever job he wants. It's the guy at the top of the list gets his, the choice of whatever job he's qualified for. So the permit list gets a lot of work because we have new lighting boards and digital sound consoles and video operating and that sort of thing. Um, kids knowing all your <laughs> Exactly. <technology>. Um, <laughs> and um, 
so that's how like that's how I've been catching for eight years is as a lighting board operator primarily, um, but also like the Air Canada Center gigs when 150 guys are out there, those are often many permits working that day. So cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get let's get a little more personal with this. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so tell me about your careers um, before you joined, like sort of how you started out. And then uh, what made you decide to join and then what, what you've done since then. So how did you start out, Megan? Um, well, I went to Ryerson Theatre School. Yeah. Did we, I didn't first know. of all, did we all go to Ryerson Theatre School? I think we're school? about to have a panel of Ryerson. How, yes, how we all did. Great. <laughs> go to other places. That's not the only school. It's not the only school. Just so happens the best one. It just so happens that most of our panels are yeah. from there. There you go. We, we went other um, places. Good school. Yeah, so I went to Ryerson Theatre School, and uh, every summer I was fortunate enough to find work just uh, in in theatre, uh, mostly as like a production assistant, doing those sorts of things. Cool. Uh, the summer after my final year, I was a production assistant uh, at Lighthouse Festival Theatre in Port Dover, and just kind of did a lot of different things and spoke with stage managers I worked with there, mentioned to them that I was interested in stage management, and one of them uh, offered me a job as an apprentice at uh, Upper Canada Playhouse in Morrisburg, Ontario for the Christmas show that Ooh. year. Uh, so I did that um, and uh, after that I kind of got apprenticeships in the same way I talked about as far as how hiring, looking at the e-drive, talking to people, yeah. yeah, and then got my apprenticeships over three years. Um, I decided to join because for me, it felt like that was the obvious choice if I wanted to be a stage manager, um, because if I wanted to work at any of the theater companies that I wanted to work for, which is, again, the vast majority of professional theater companies, uh, I had to be an equity member. So that just kind of seemed like the logical choice, and I was fortunate enough to get going on that pretty much right after I started school. Awesome. Yeah. And, and what's it been like since? Uh, great. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting because when you go through your apprenticeship, it, it's kind of like it goes in weird sort of phases. When you start your apprenticeship, it's hard to find work. And then as you become an experienced apprentice, then suddenly all these theater companies want to hire you because you're basically like as qualified as uh, almost like almost as qualified as an equity member, but they don't have to pay you. <laughs> At all. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. Great. Yes, that is the fun thing about being an apprentice. There's no uh, equity apprentices aren't really, they're a little bit, but not really protected by equity in uh, different ways. Uh, right. So it's always great if a, an equity member, like an equity stage manager who's looking after an apprentice and teaching them, uh, makes sure that they are protected as far as their hours and things like that. Uh, yeah, so uh, when you are a very experienced apprentice, it's uh, a lot easier to find work. And then when you decide to make that move to join equity, then suddenly you kind of feel like you're back at the bottom of the right. pecking order again. And then you kind of have to, but, but hopefully that experience you've had as an apprentice, meeting people, stuff like that, has gained you contacts and you can pull on those uh, to be, and you don't necessarily have to start as an ASM. Like my first, two equity jobs were both as a stage manager cool. for smaller uh, theater companies. And then you just kind of have to work your way up again, make those connections, and yeah. But it's been, I found, really great because uh, 
I'm not great at sticking up for myself and negotiating for myself. Yeah. So it's great that there's a body to do that for me, to guarantee me uh, breaks, working hours, uh, minimum rate of pay, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, I know, so obviously you, you sort of saw the level of work you wanted to do. Yeah. And you, you knew you had to be an equity, equity member to do that. I know with, um, with actors, a lot of the times, uh, the sort of worry is, oh, if I become equity, uh, suddenly I'm not going to get hired because I haven't, you know, if I, if I do it too soon, I'm not going to get hired because I haven't made the connections. Was that a worry? Mm -hmm. Was that a worry for you? Or did you, you felt Not like, really. I felt yeah. pretty good about it yeah. Uh, because... Yeah, again, yeah, all the places I wanted to work were equity. And because you have that apprentice period, you're allowed yeah. to make those uh, connections. Uh, I'm, again, I'm not entirely sure what the actor process for joining is, but I know they're allowed to work kind of like on a permit sort of basis. Yeah. They can do a show, but not necessarily join, but they can't do too many of those. So they do have opportunities to work on equity uh, shows, but they don't have to commit um, unless they like keep doing that. Then eventually, they're like, "Okay, it's time." It, it has to do with. Correct if I'm wrong. Isn't there sort of in any individual show there's a a quota or a limit of yeah. how many members to non-members you're allowed to have? That is so a that becomes a way that somebody statement. who's maybe not a member yet yeah. can kind of get themselves going. Mm -hmm. And then there's. For performers, there's now it's fairly fairly recent. There's two like levels. There's like a one and two level of performers, and companies can hire certain percentages of each kind. You don't have to pay the level two as much. Uh, wow. Yeah, and like bigger companies can have like have different sort of percentages of what they can hire that smaller companies do. Um, gotcha. Yes, lots of uh, fun math. things. Trying to math. <laughs> Yeah, stuff. trying to offset that sort of worry for people. Yeah, yeah. do you happen to know if there's like a fee differential of membership between a level one performer and a level two? Yes. There is, yeah? There that's, absolutely that's is. That's why, yeah. yeah. And okay. I think from my knowledge that that was Equity's uh, attempt to get more members, Yeah. Uh, to encourage more people, like anybody who is kind of unsure of, Yeah. because uh, they're like, oh, I'll never get hired. Yeah, so that was kind of a, a way to be like, look, you can still get hired because all these companies will want to hire slightly cheaper performers. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I think it's, you work for a certain period of time and then you you get bumped up, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a bargaining of trying to make sure everybody's getting paid enough, but also trying to make sure everybody's hiring. Oh, well, it just sounds like a bit of an apprenticeship program. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, you come in at a certain time for a period of time, and yeah. I didn't mm. know about that. That's and there cool. used to be an actor, like, apprenticeship program, but I think it's... It's been switched over to whatever exists. Cool. That sounds good. Now, yeah, uh, I, it must not have been working for various reasons. But fine tuning and stuff. But at the same time, like even if you are an equity member, there's a lot of ways for performers and stage managers to work on smaller indie productions. There's different agreements that'll cover that. There's uh, like. Yeah, there's small. There's yeah. the indie 2.0, yeah, and then there's the collective. So, yeah. Okay, we can talk okay, about yeah. that well, later. So that. many. Ask about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> but until then, uh, Sally, let's go over to you. Uh, how did you get your start? Um, when did you join the union? Why did you join the union? And yeah. how's it been going since then? Um, I also went to Ryerson. I was lucky to start uh, catching calls with the union in second year. Um, uh, so I was. I called myself like an ACC. 
a member. <laughs> like I, yeah. So I literally looked at the Air Canada Center. Sorry, Scotia Bank Arena. Oh yeah, my bad. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Really? Uh, yeah. It's now the Scotia Bank Arena. Sure is. Um, okay. I looked at the at the time Air Canada Center calendar um, and put all of those dates in my phone. Um, and then would keep myself as available as possible for those days and had that relationship with the business agent that he knew that that's what I was doing. Cool. And, and that's kind of how I started. I'm, yeah, yeah I tell, like I tell early. everybody, it's not a secret. Like I tell that's everybody so smart. That's yeah. Um, and, um, from there, I was really lucky because I started that relationship with them early and kind of strategically developed that, um, that I was able to freelance um, do my own thing. I went on tour for a little bit uh, and catch calls whenever I could. I got yelled at a couple times for being like, well, why the hell are we calling you if you're never going to be available? Because they wanted me because I had a skill set that they needed. Um, but I wanted to take my time and I wanted to make sure that I tried everything first. I didn't want to join the union and then go, oh, but I could look at all, like, what if I did want to production manage? Not saying that you can't do both, but for the apprenticeship period, I just like traveling mainly. So for the apprenticeship period, you have to live in Toronto to do the apprenticeship. And three yeah. years oh, sounded like a really long time to be <laughs> in one spot. So I tried a lot of things and I toured and I production managed. And, and then I noticed uh, a change in the freelance uh, tech world because I was doing a lot of corporate and um, working for those big corporate companies, and there was some mergers and acquisitions. There was uh, Pan Am was a big mark on the freelance world because it was a lot of technicians needed a lot of time. Um, and as, after, kind of post Pan Am, I noticed that the environment was one in which I might be better suited to joining the union. So because again, I'm lucky. Everyone's story is a little bit different because I had developed that relationship with them so early on. I kind of went okay, here's my letter. So when you're a permit and you want to become an apprentice, you put in your letter of intent and it says, this is me actually deciding to join. Um, I still got turned down after my first screening, which I took as a huge blow to my ego, but it happens to basically everybody because, um, not basically everybody, I can't, I can't generalize like that, but it does happen a lot because we don't bring in a lot of people. We have in the last year or two, but uh, it's tough competition to get in. So... I didn't get in on my first screening, but I did get in on my second screening, which was February. And, um, and I've been an apprentice for two years. So since then, I uh, actually my strategy was I left town for uh, six months or two months. And then uh, I, I, didn't, I told all of my freelance companies that I was leaving and didn't tell any of them that I came back. And then I worked exclusively for Nelson. And then I left town for another couple of weeks and I didn't tell anyone. I told everyone I was leaving and didn't tell them I was coming back. And then I just... That's how I narrowed down to be exclusively IATSE working. And then I went for my apprenticeship. Again, I put way too much thought in this because I had eight years to do it. So wait, you just ghosted. You hard ghosted. I think has the classic story of knowing what she wanted to do really early and then going for that really hard. Yeah. It may seem unattainable for the rest of us. I was really lucky that way. And I just... I, I love that I still have the good relationship with the non-union theaters that I've worked in yeah. and that I can still ha be on panels like this and have the discussion. Yeah. And since I've become an apprentice, obviously I've become the house tech at Berkeley, um, which is awesome because it's just exactly the same as being a technician anywhere else except I have a union-negotiated contract. I was going to say, like, you pulled ACC calls for 
a long time, and then now you're the head of tech at the Berkeley again, doing the same job as me, but you're in the E. That's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. And that's, Good for and, you. And and the reason I the other reason I really wanted to join is because those big ridiculous musicals are appealing to me and the idea of working in the Royal Alex one day or working in like on the Princess of Wales with all the cool toys sounds fun and there's some good stories like the um the one of the girls Megan who was one of the head technicians at Young Center uh for several years is now the head of props at the Ed Mervis Theater which is just spectacular as far as the growth over the last couple years so I liked I liked that trajectory for myself so that's why I'm here now Oh, that's really cool. Also, benefits and pensions. So, like, uh, but let's talk about that later. <laughs> benefits. Of you said it. Um, it. It's always really nice to see people I went to school with who now are landing these. Yeah. I remember having a, a chat on Facebook with a friend that I went to school with, and I do a show every fall at the Sony Center now, which blows my mind mm-hmm. that I get to go into that massive theater every year. And he was talking about uh, the Elgin, and it's it's kind of amazing that shift when it happens, mm-hmm. and suddenly mm-hmm. these big theaters. Yeah. show up um yeah let's go to, let's go to uh but so i i the adc tends to bring people in at two phases in their careers either right out of school and people want to be part of that community they aren't comfortable negotiating the details of a contract and we don't negotiate contracts but we have stock language and so it's for somebody who's not doesn't feel comfortable kind of identifying their intellectual property rights or royalties or those sorts of things, we make that a bit easier. Yeah. So there are people who come fresh out of school who want that, who join. I wasn't part of that group. I've always been pretty comfortable negotiating. Yeah, when you said four years, I was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. Um, and I, I sort of, I, I got lucky and I started designing out of school, but I didn't really, it was a bit accidental. I always wanted to do it, but I didn't, I feel like I didn't, I fell into the right spot at the right time. Yeah. Um, but I was always very comfortable negotiating for myself, so I didn't necessarily have an impetus to join right away. And, uh, and about four years ago, I kind of hit the wall where I said, you know, I'm kind of tired of a different contractor needing to argue over certain things every time. So it's nice to have a stock, it would be nice to have a stock contract. And uh, I really started to feel that the value um, that as a community, as an industry, we bring by working collectively is greater in terms of the potential than each of us working on our own. And I've been very lucky to to negotiate well for myself, but I, I felt like as a collective we can do better. And perhaps those who haven't been as fortunate can benefit from those who have been more fortunate. Um, and so I sort of joined a bit out of that sense of wanting to be able to contribute both to that community and from that community. Cool. Um, so uh, had things changed for me? Not really a huge amount, uh, other than now I use ADC contracts for everything, and right. I get the little benefits that we have from that, uh, and, uh, and I've had a chance to uh, negotiate with PACT at the table and be a part, part of that contract and uh, work to revise our, uh, our standards and our working procedures for designers across the country in terms cool. of the recommendations that we put forward. So it's been a, I joined a bit as a as a an exercise in collective participation more than about trying yeah. to get something out of it. I think we at the bellows understand. understand that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, you 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 were kind of doing well for yourself, but you wanted to bring up the the profession as a whole. Kinda. In what little way I can. In what, in what little way anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay, that's really that's uh that's really interesting. Um 
let's let's go back to that sort of thing we were talking about before. Uh, can you do not? Can you do non-union slash association work if you so choose to? Uh, no. No. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No. This is actually actually a curiosity question because I don't actually know. Uh, uh, no, okay, I can't, cool. and nor would I want to. Uh, yeah. Mostly because I feel like we are stronger if we work together in an association. Uh, so I don't want to kind of encourage people to kind of cheat and work out outside. I'm, I know for a fact that people do, but yeah. uh, they are technically aren't supposed to. Yep. But that said, uh, there are a lot of, as I was saying before, there are a lot of ways for members uh, to work on the projects that they want to work on. Uh, there's yeah. a whole huge list of agreements. Check out uh, CAEA.com. Yep. For those, because there are a lot of agreements that cover a lot of different things. Yeah, Indy 2.0 um, is a classic yeah. one. Like, is a, is collective? Uh, the collective agreement, uh, which is basically kind of like if you want to do a show, just be like uh, with your friends and be like, hey, we want to really do this thing. We have zero money. Uh, just get them all together and do a collective agreement, and then you don't really have to pay anyone. Uh, which kind of <laughs> is like, well, then what's the point of being in this group? Uh, but yes, you should pay yeah. people. Uh, but if you, but you still can do things yeah. if you want to. Like if you and your friends want to do a cool show, and you're like, let's do this together. I mean, with the collective agreement, the understanding is that everyone in the collective will divide work sort of evenly. Yeah. Uh, like it won't be just like the actors are <coughs> just acting. Uh, that said, in a couple times that I've done those, in practice, I still was the stage manager pulling like ridiculous long weeks, and then the actor, a couple of the actors would just show up <laughs> and for rehearsal and then go away. And then we all got paid the same amount at the end. And I was like, uh, what? I mean, no. uh, so, you know, that happens. But yeah, basically, being a member of Equity doesn't necessarily restrict you from doing your dream project. You just kind of have to put a proposal together, submit it to equity, and they will tell you whether or not yeah. you can do that. Like hopefully and you'll have some standards. Yes, like, you know, mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, and you do have to pay, like, the nice thing about it is if even if you are part of this uh, collective agreement, you still have to pay uh, insurance uh, for your members. Uh, I think it's fairly inexpensive uh, for that. Cool. Um, but yeah, at least you have that insurance coverage, which I think is pretty great because if something happens to someone on your production then God, you want you're, you're covered for it to an extent um, yeah yep I think that's cool pretty much it that makes total sense Sally um, what about again the big the big uh, rumor mill would be no uh, the actual answer is um, kind of similar no I don't need to and know the once you've reached apprentice th there is usually enough work going around that you don't really need to catch other work and same thing I now have the benefits the insurance the security that I didn't have while working freelance that I don't feel the need to go back to other than missing all of you guys but uh, <laughs> come visit me at Berkeley um, um, but that being said, there are very dead periods, and you have a, a discussion with the business agent in special situations, and, and if you have that, like some people have festivals that they've been working for years and years and years, cool. and it's something that we wouldn't normally do. 
you can't go work for the other competitive labor providers because <laughs> yeah. it's a competitive industry and uh, that wouldn't go over well. Yeah. Um, but again, you don't need to. Why? It's, it's not at that point. When you're on the permit list, of course, you're still a freelancer. So as I did, you can work yeah. forever. But once you, once you get your apprenticeship, they're a little more rigid and it's a little more um, discussion. And then, but first and foremost, you don't need to. Hey, just another quick moment to ask you to go to the show notes and click on the link to support the show at patreon.com. This will help to cover travel costs as I break out from my base in Hamilton to interview designers as they pass through the festivals and the big city. I'm currently planning a big trip to Vancouver over the December holiday to interview luminaries like Mary Kerr. You heard me, luminaries. Watch this space. I'll be asking for your help to get me out there soon. So go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate a couple bucks an episode. It'll really help. Yeah, with IATSE, it's a little different because like with stage managers or with designers, you're like maybe a little more connected to a show. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if you're an IATSE, you don't want to just come pull a call at Pass Mariah because I'm still just going to have you hang some lights or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's not, you know. And it's fun. Yeah, and honestly, if it was a really slow week, and that's the other part of it, is that <laughs> if it was a really slow week and I said, hey, Nelson, I want to go hang lights at Pass Mariah for a day, he'd be like, why? And I'd be like, because it's fun. And he'd be like, oh, we sure. don't really need you. But as long as you're, <laughs> so, not, like, as long as you're not skipping out. Like, that's you're the other stopping thing. Stopping answering calls. Exactly. If they, if they end up having to call a permittee or somebody they wouldn't, like, to fill in a lighting board operator because I've decided to go off and work somewhere else that week, yeah. he's not going to be pleased. Because we want to keep the work within the membership. And if the that work is there sense. to go around... But like, for example, the summer is usually pretty quiet for because all the murder theater closes, all the theater seasons pause. Um, he then we have lots of people that. So as an IAT member, if you wanted to go like production manage a show, totally also, fine. You can totally do that. Mm-hmm. You just can't skip out on work exactly. to do it. Yeah, exactly. And that, once you become a member, you could. So once you're when you're an apprentice, you can't. But once you become a member, you can. Turn you can down just, all the work you yeah, want. Yeah, turn down all the work you're you want and go do whatever you want. Forever until yeah. you fuck up. As long as you keep paying know. those dues. Pay those dues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say that I I could work and I have done crew calls and stuff like that. I just can't work as a stage manager yeah. on something else. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could work on as an actor on a non-union production. I that is a fact I don't know. But yeah, I can do like I could be a production manager. I could do work like as a tour manager. I could do whatever, but I can't be a stage manager. Mm-hmm. That makes sense uh, for a non yeah for a non-equity production. Cool. Um, and I will say that as far as a stage manager goes, it's uh, kind of combining these last two questions. It's maybe a bit more like yes, join equity, but definitely actors. And uh, choreographers, directors, fight directors uh, definitely will want to think a lot more about whether they want to commit yes. because they may have a lot less uh, op- flexibility opportunities. Yeah, like when you say fight directors, I'm thinking yeah. like, oh, I can definitely think of a lot of productions I know that are in equity that definitely still want me to fight director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a little... So they yeah. that, those groups of people may want to think a lot more about joining equity uh, I mean stage managers should think a lot about it but it's a bit more of an obvious choice uh, than the other yeah. groups uh, because there's a fair amount of work for equity stage managers out there and there aren't yeah. a lot of us there are a fair number but not as many as like 
equity actors. There are a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a really good point. Members of IATSE and apprentices of IATSE can also do design work as well without being under conflict. Very Designing, cool. managing, that sort of thing. Oh, Stage management work. Great segue. Very cool. Let's hey. go. Hey. Amazing. Because what, what I was going to say is that same in, in the where we kind of started the conversation in terms of people who cross over between all of these organizations is that there are a number of ADC designers who are also members of 58 particularly sound designers more than anything, mm -hmm. um, who may mix shows or who may go and design shows and, and cross over. And uh, as far as we're concerned, there's no conflict there exactly. at all. Um, the way ADC tends to think about it is that design as a sphere has a huge array of ways in which it's manifested. So as a lighting designer, um, I may make a new design for a show, but I also may be hired to tour a design that pre-exists for some other show as a lighting director. And as, as an organization, we don't have a stock contract for that. So I wouldn't necessarily put myself under an ADC contract to be a lighting director on a tour because there isn't that. Yes. That and the, even though it's the same skill sets as a designer, the association wouldn't consider that any sort of conflict at all. And even as a designer, there may be circumstances where the work that is being requested doesn't fit within one of our uh, our core templates for contracts by and large are uh, the resources that we have to date and hopefully over time we'll have more uh, but the contracts we offer are about new design work um, in a pretty traditional theater setting or dance setting for a company um, one-offs are something we don't necessarily have a lot of great templates for right. and can't necessarily um, uh, uh, enforce. And, and we don't, our members are free to do whatever they want. What, what we would say is the provisions that are in our contract protect you. Yeah. And so you're not obligated, but certainly any opportunities you have to use the resources we offer our members protects you as a member. Yeah, it seems like ADC is kind of like, the classic definition of an association, which is to say, we have all these resources to help you, and like, here's contracts you can use, here's ways we'll help yeah. you bargain. If you don't want that, sure, but like, yeah, and the why wouldn't you? <laughs> the exception to a degree is we do have a negotiated agreement with PACT. Cool. So if you are doing a show with PACT and you are a member of ADC, they're obligated to recognize that membership cool. and they're obligated to use that contract. Where it's different than, for example, equity is that they're not required to hire an ADC member at present, maybe someday down the road, lovely. Mm -hmm. But right now, they, they don't have to hire an ADC member. Okay. But if they choose to hire an ADC member, they are required to recognize our contract. For those uh, catching up on our acronyms, can you define PACT? Ah, yes, the, the PACT is the Professional Association of Canadian Theaters. Um, and it is, uh, it, and if it's in its own right, an association, um, of yeah. theater companies, some Shit. yeah, that would have been a good one. Damn. Yeah, but like it's a different. It's management. yeah, there's this, it's management. It's, it's different. yeah, that's a management one. Yeah, um, uh, but it it represents both venued uh, companies like Theater Pass Mariah where we are, yeah. or Soul Pepper, or not represents. It is uh, an organization that is is run by yes, encompasses Theater Pass Mariah, Soul Pepper, uh, the Stratford Festival as a member. It also rep, uh, has as its members non-venued indie companies. Oh. Um, like 
Theater Smith Gilmore, like Nightwood. I, is Nightwood. I suspect and, yeah. Studio 180, but is, I actually don't know. What does PAX govern? Because, for example, like I know <laughs> you have to be PAX to get into the Doras. Is that a thing? No. No, okay. Well, uh, hey, Tappa. Tappa. <laughs> Tappa. Oh, God. So many associations. There are so many associations. Um, yeah, we didn't invite Tappa. So, I'll be, Tappa. Uh, Somebody define Tappa real quick. I'll be on uh, Toronto Alliance for the Performing Arts. Thank you. Uh, yeah, what does what <laughs> PACT govern? Uh, I think, and, and there are a lot of things that they do that I honestly, because I am not yeah. myself a member of PACT, yes. um, but I do know that, uh, and there's a distinction between uh, affiliate member, associate member, I can't remember the exact term, but a full member of PACT versus an, uh, an affiliate member, I'll say. I don't remember which one it is. Sure. Uh, and I'm really only familiar with the component of uh, the relationship to PACT for full members, which is the agreements that PAC negotiates on behalf of its members with, for example, the ADC and uh, with equity. So the yeah. Canadian Theatre Agreement, which has been around for, uh, was it was it the 70s sometime? I want to say it was I the early know, 70s, 70s, I think. Um, but that they as an organization have negotiated on behalf of all of their members this agreement. Right. That That is why equity has the the clout that they do amongst stage managers and actors and has that representation. So whereas IATSE negotiates venue by venue right. with mm-hmm. a contract for the employees in that venue, PACT has negotiated with equity nationwide. And it's sort of, I assume, like a set of standards and sort of like rules or standards yeah. that we follow. Which is yeah, why in a book. Like, yeah, it's literally a book. Yeah, like it's published and is yeah, and you can read the theater agreement. Yeah. You can read, yeah. And whereas you know, at the <laughs> hip said, there's a book. <laughs> whereas at uh, at the Sony Center, you will get paid a different rate than at uh, Soul Pepper yeah, or Can Stage because the negotiation is different. Or uh, um, even if I think about, I'm trying to think of two theaters that have roughly the same house count. Like, uh, like, Alex. Yeah, like you'll get paid a different rate at those two theaters because the producers have negotiated different. Gotcha. They're probably oh, that, lying that's they're because both the same Marish, producer. So the but, same or producer. like the Elgin versus the Princess mm-hmm. of Wales, yeah. for example. Whereas at an A house theater anywhere in the country, for equity or for ADC, yeah. the base fee is the same. No matter what city you're in, cool. mm-hmm. it's, you know, the Neptune Theater is an A house, Can Stage is an A house, the base. The Globe is an A house and cool. Saskatchewan, and the the base amount that you have to pay as a minimum is the same in all of those theaters. Yeah, that makes sense. And I should say, A house is uh, uh, there's a set of uh, like letter rankings between yeah, which that, was yeah. negotiated in, and it's different depending on what agreement you look at. But uh, between Equity and Pact have negotiated uh, different like rankings, so uh, it's like A A two. And then B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh, smaller theater companies will be down F, G. Uh, bigger theater companies will be up in A. And it depends on the size of your house, how much you're charging for tickets, stuff like that. What's the, uh, what's the backspace? What's the theater uh, pass my backspace? Yeah. Right G. down there. The, um, the tiniest yeah. house of yeah. all. Small uh, so they negotiated seats. basically higher fees and stuff for the bigger places and lower fees for the smaller places. Cool. That's very good. I'm astonished that Fountain Hall is an A house. It is not that ne- big. Where? Sorry? Uh, sorry, Neptune. <laughs> Fountain Hall is their main theater. I think, right. I think um, But I think it's because of the rubric, right? It's because of the well, ticket and prices and because yeah. And I've never I've never done a show there. I just know that that's what they've always so I don't, 
I don't know the mechanics that gets them there, but I no, I have always been there. I used to be a, a union permittee oh, and an equity <laughs> apprentice at Fountain Hall. Right. So, um, okay, so uh, how are decisions and negotiations made within the union, and uh, are you able to be a part of that process um, if you want to be, and explain how? Uh, yeah, so equity is run... Uh, by a council, cool. Uh, so there's a council that's elected for three years every year. It is a shadowy uh, council. The shadowy council. No, it's not. they're <laughs> working members. Uh, <laughs> I am running for council this year. This is a good opportunity to shout out all these things. Megan so, Speakman for council. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm I running for it. council this year for uh, in the stage management region. Uh, so there's two. Uh, stage managers who are elected to council, and then there's different regions. There's like Ontario, and so there are a number of people are elected from Ontario and different cool. provinces and combined. Anyway, all these people come together uh, and uh, talk about policy, governance of equity, uh, and uh, you can contact your uh, counselor at any point if you have suggestions or thoughts or complaints cool. or whatever, and you can talk to them, and then they can bring it up at council meetings and talk about the different points that have been brought up and kind of try and make things better for everyone. Uh, there's also various committees that you can be a part of. Um, lots of different committees. Uh, there's a whole list on the Equity website. There's a link, like a tab that says committees, and then there's a whole list of them. I know, for example, there is a stage management committee where okay. uh, you can talk about stage management issues and stuff like that. So there's that. Uh, there's also different equity members who will be negotiating with PACT on the different agreements, things like that. Um, yeah, that's how you kind of... Does that answer yeah. kind of most of your question? How you kind know, of get involved, make changes? I know, for example, um, like the Not In Our Space initiative, did that come out of a committee? Did that... Um, um, how did that come about? There's definitely a committee that deals with it now. Okay, cool. uh, I don't know where it. Like where that I, I don't know exactly yeah. who decided. I feel like definitely council. It was something council talked about, and perhaps cool. they created a committee cool. to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, there is now a committee that talks about uh, not in our space and awesome. uh, sort of workplace harassment and yeah. safety and all that sort of stuff. But there's there are various ways to get involved in the association. With yeah. decisions get made and sort of that sort of thing. Yeah. Cool. And uh, yeah. yeah, and you can always just talk to them. You can call them up and say, I have a thing I want to talk about. And yeah. then they can direct you to who's the right person to tell about it. Uh, stage managers, there's like at the end of a production, I don't know if a lot of people necessarily do this, but there is a form you can fill out after you do a show that says, hey, here's some suggestions for things because of something I experienced on this show. Uh, and you can be like, Fair. here you go. Uh, yeah. Cool. So lots of ways to get involved. Cool. Awesome. So. Um, how contracts are negotiated with IATSE. Um, once a contract already exists, so in a venue that's already an IATSE venue, um, in the contract there's an end date uh, when it comes up for renegotiation. So, for example, Canadian stage is, is the end of this year, I believe. And, um, sorry, I say year, I mean season. Uh, you guys would all speak the same language. <laughs> and um, when that comes up for negotiation, so IATSE has like a self-governance. We have a pre we have a president, but people don't realize how small we really are. Our only full-time office people are our president and our business agent. 
Um, otherwise, we have a vice president that basically gets an honorarium and then hourly based on the work required of them. And then a call steward and uh, uh, like a treasurer and then receptionists. So to become any one of those positions, um, you can you get nominated by the membership and you get elected. So, for example, our president once was the head technician at Berkeley. And oh, cool. our, uh, our business agent was the carpenter at the Princess of Wales for a while uh, on many shows. So we are stagehands governed by stagehands. So when it comes cool. to contract negotiations, the people that sit on our negotiating committee are the president, the business agent, the vice president. And then we also have a negotiating committee of members that gets elected and express interest in wanting to be a part of the negotiating process. And I believe there's... Oh, somewhere between six and ten of them, maybe a few more. I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, and so it'll be the president, the business agent, the vice president, and then some number of the negotiating committee, like one or two per contract. Uh, and then when that process starts, they'll bring in the house technicians at the beginning. Uh, you chat about how it's been going, what notes you have, what things you'd like to see in the contracts have changed, or everything's great, um, just a couple clarifications, stuff like that. Um, you leave that with the negotiating committee. The reason, as a house tech, I wouldn't be involved in my own negotiations is because it can get personal. Yeah. You don't want to be sitting across the table from them saying, well, I want you to give me more of it. It's just you have to work with them day to day. So yeah. that's why it goes to the committee. And on the employer side, there would be, um, I believe, like management and um, like executive direction, artistic direction, that's sort of, probably not artistic direction, but um, but management levels. Yeah. And in larger contracts, there's um, there's always lawyers involved because it is legally binding contract. Um, but in larger negotiations, they hire like a completely separate entity to be their negotiators, um, which is frustrating when they have no idea what you do for a living. But um, but that's fine. So, um, so that's kind of where the, the contract comes from. And then if you're in a venue that is a non-union venue and you'd like to have an IATSE contract and, and what we call certify, uh, you can approach the union and say you'd like to be represented by them. Um, you sign temporary cards and then the paperwork gets submitted to the Ministry of Labor. And then there's a vote in the venue um, among the staff to certify or not certify, and then the contract goes into uh, negotiations after that if it all goes through. And then once the contract's been set by the employer and the negotiating committee, it gets presented at a member's meeting, and the full membership votes on it, and that is ratification. So once everyone says, cool, we agree with that, then it's all set, and you don't have to deal with it again for the next few years. Yeah, because that should actually be mentioned um, <laughs> when I said earlier that Association like uh, unions represent uh, employees and, or workers, and associations can be set up even by the employer. Unions, in fact, have to be democratically decided mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. by the workers. So, if you say I don't want to start a union, and the majority of workers say, "Well, we don't," then it doesn't happen. So doesn't happen. that's exactly. where that ratification. And the other the other thing I keep forgetting to throw in is that we are employees under the contract. So, for example. Um, I don't get paid by IATSE, like where you'd be film, uh, unless, yeah, I don't get paid by, where you're freelancing and you get paid by labor providing company. Um, I get paid by my employer, which is Canadian Stage. And when I work at the Air Canada Center, I get paid by Air Canada yeah. Center. So, yeah. so you are an employee under each one of those individual contracts. Yeah. 
Um, it's a lot of T4s. It's I get upward. I think my record was like 19 because the free tax software I have's limit is 20. I can do it. <laughs> I can <laughs> I take work. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, can't, I work can't work there. I don't, I, can't. I don't have T4. I get one T4 and I think. Um. <laughs> and then similar, so just similar to equity, we do have lots of other committees within us. So the cool. negotiating committee, the executive board, the screening board I mentioned earlier, um, the social committee. Um, cool. So there's That's lots, uh, right? So um, we have a women's committee as well now. So there's cool. lots of ways to get involved. Cool. What's also notable is in terms of certifying is if the if the workers at a venue decide you know, we're not being adequately represented by ourselves, we would like the union to represent us. Once that vote happens, once those cards are signed, the employer is legally obligated to respect to recognize and it. to yeah. negotiate it. Yeah, you don't, don't just get to say no. <clears throat> yeah, there's mm -hmm. no just kicking you out the door instead. Way, no, exactly. Which is, important. is uh, a really critical part of the labor law. Yes, exactly. And, and that's where the that's actually where the power of it comes from, really, definitely. in the negotiating part, is that yeah. legal obligation. It really does put the, yeah. wor the right of work in the hands of the workers, yeah. Yeah. which is the yeah. goal. I don't know what the legal obligation is, but you also can't be fired for talking about the union. No, nope. no, definitely not. It is your right to do so. Yeah. To organize. Right. And I think coming back, that kind of comes back to differences between unions and associations. Exactly. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, those theater companies have to hire union members. They don't necessarily yeah. have to hire the association members. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, Simon? Um, the ADC, we, we think of ourselves as a member driven organization, in part because we are so tiny. Um, uh, and that uh, really, the only way we can kind of get anything done is through our members uh, engaging with what they want us to do. And in a lot of cases, that means either bringing ideas forward or or, or actually saying, I, I have a thing I'm interested in. I want to do it. Let's try to make it happen. And a really a specific example that's very current uh, is for anybody who follows the Designers Guild Online, which is run by a couple of members, uh, there was recently a post about a sound rights workshop mm -hmm. that uh, we're subsidizing mm -hmm. for our members or that's open for money to non-members. Awesome. Um, and that was uh, an initiative that John Zosky, who's a, one of our members, had yeah. sort of brought forward and said, I, you know, I'm interested in this thing and we were talking about it. Um, and uh, I sort of encouraged him to speak to Gail, our executive director, and they did speak. And there was a conversation about how we can help facilitate that, and I don't know exactly how it landed, but at the end of the day, evidently the agreement was that cool. um, we're gonna help subsidize that for people. So awesome. it's, it's a member-driven initiative. We don't necessarily bring everything top-down because we don't have the staff to do that, but our members, if you are a member of ADC or want to become a member of ADC and have an idea about something we should do, oh my God, please call me, call Gail, call Ken McKenzie, our president. We would love it. Do you happen to know when that workshop is happening? I don't. I believe that there is, uh, it is still, or were there a couple of dates? I'm trying to remember what was on the posting now. It's okay. Can you but just tell it, us where to find the posting so was, that we can let people know? It's in the know? Designers Guild, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay, so if we just look or, at Designers Guild. Or Associated and, Designers is the account. That's a secret. Um, but the, the date, I think, was a TBA okay. before. Okay. We were trying to get enough people Oh, it's just interested. not settled yet. It's okay, not great. settled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let no, us know what it is, because I think that a lot of people would be interested yeah, in Yeah, I think it was like there were seven or eight slots, and cool. once we had seven or eight people, then the, it was going to be the game of when are, yeah. seven, when are those seven or eight yeah, people. Are, the doodle pull is out. <laughs> yes, what you mean. That's what, I, I like that. Doodles out. Um, that actually folds really well into my next question. Um, 
and let, we can go through this one quickly, but are there training opportunities? Are there like further, um, uh, like further education opportunities available through your organizations? Uh, no. I don't really know what, I don't really know necessarily no. what, what stage management no. would need in comparison to say. No, that would uh, be the, what the apprenticeship model is really. Yeah. It's about, yeah. it's about giving you that training on your training, way yeah. in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, I mean, it's not through the union, although, uh, equity does, uh, help with funding a bit for, the uh, stage managing the arts conference SM that arts. happens yeah. uh, them out. in April-ish every year. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a cool. really great concert conference. So that's kind of the yeah. main way that stage managers can find further education about stage management because nothing else really exists as far as uh, stage management education besides yeah the apprenticeship yeah, and learning a, from each other. Uh, actors and stuff, they kind of fend for themselves, taking all the various workshops and <laughs> things oh, so that they love. Uh, yeah, there's so many workshops and things that people can do, but uh, not necessarily through. Again. Yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, tons and tons and tons. <laughs> I guess that question was lobbed to Sally. Yep. <laughs> um, um, once you become an apprentice, and even as a permit, uh, same sort of thing, as a permit worker, the, all the same education can be presented to you uh, for money if there are slots available, um, which is actually a, a much more recent development that we've opened that up because we have such a big permit list now. Um, but as an apprentice, uh, my working at Heights, my, uh, like, right up until, like, being sent to LDI, um, can be covered okay. and uh, Lighting Designers International Conference in Las Vegas. So, oh, um, like if you want to do very light certification in nice. somewhere else, uh, anything that you can justify as being uh, relevant to your job. Cool. And um, and either some or all of it is will be covered by our education fund. Um, cool. All yeah, and there's a fund for that. Yeah, exactly. That regular sense, and yeah. regular um, regular certifications and recertifications are are there on top of that. Oh, zoom booms and that sort of thing. Cool. Yeah, totally completely. Cool. The joy of having a negotiated collective agreement. That yeah. Education fund. Yeah. They, a, a it's like every... you collectively pool your money <laughs> and then you pay for things that everyone needs. <laughs> what? Well, and, and it benefits the employer to have. It does. Right. Because. Yeah, exactly. You know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, shopping. hey, Cansage, you don't have to pay for my working at Heights. I've got it based on our agreement. Uh, Simon? Um, at the ADC, uh, we don't have a lot of any formal programs. Yeah. Um, though, uh, much like this music rights workshop that we're trying to get off the ground, anything that uh, comes to us or that a member is interested in trying to explore, we're more than happy to help facilitate. Cool. For us, um, one of our... One of the really important goals for us as an organization is about um, mentorship and connecting mm. senior designers and junior designers. Yes. And we do that in an informal way, largely yeah. because we, at this point we don't necessarily have the resources to pay people to do that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but it's really an important value for us to have our senior members and our newer members connect and cool. to try to build those connections, those intergenerational connections. Um, design as a craft is something that is uh, handed down across mm -hmm. the generations. It's hard to teach it in a classroom. Mm -hmm. And so connecting designers at various stages in their career is really important to us. Um, does anybody, uh, can somebody chat real quick about CITT as well? 
Uh, anybody know? Oh, Canadian Institute for Theater Technology. Yeah, which because they has a an extensive presence amongst university technical directors and technical directors generally. I think. Cool. Like I think it's most, I, and I anybody I around the, the room can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's much more populated by that sort of technical director. Cool. Group, I think, more than designers, more mm-hmm. than technicians. I have taken many courses through CITT things. They like they've presented the ETCI on workshop a couple of times, level one, two, and three, and they've brought in like like you. Yeah, they I know they provide in, a lot of workshops yeah, and stuff and, like that. And if I take one of those of my own volition and clear it with that, um, clear it with our education committee, cool. that's covered for me as well. Cool. So even if I go out on my own to do it. Um, but yeah, CITT's uh, the conference they've present. They present a lot of education cool. for cool. the industry. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, so the last question I'm going to ask is, um, sort of moving forward, uh, what would you like to see um, improve, change further with your uh, your association? Like, do you have any um, hopes to the future, changes you want to you want to see, or like things you want to improve about about how things are going in the industry for you? Um. Yeah, uh, there's always ways to get better. Yeah, um, I think. Kind of with that question. Kind of one thing for sure is uh, assisting uh, stage man- like for for stage management point of view. I can't necessarily speak to uh, performers uh, and that, but as far as stage management goes, uh, assisting apprentices and stuff, and cool. a, maybe a bit more. Uh, protection for them. I know uh, there was a negotiated Canadian theater agreement recently that did not get ratified by PACT uh, that fell through that had some great things uh, about apprentices in there, like making sure they aren't allowed to work more hours than a stage manager is, like their <laughs> mentor is. <Cool>. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that, right? Because sometimes sometimes a theater company will be like, oh, well, the apprentice can like stay behind for two hours yeah, and do the laundry, right? Uh, Stuff like that. So yeah, just more protection for apprentices. Uh, definitely kind of some more communication and support around. Uh, one issue that I keep running into is that stage managers are employees. Uh, actors, uh, directors, choreographers, everyone else are independent contractors. And that's just because the Canadian Revenue uh, Agency decided that stage managers had to be employees. Okay. Uh, under the Canadian Theatre Agreement, specifically. Uh, and I've probably other ones for sure, but definitely that one for sure. Uh, so one thing that I've run into a lot, even though that happened many years ago now, one thing I run into a lot uh, is uh, theater companies not necessarily getting that that means I have to sign a rider to my contract that says I can work more than 44, uh, more than 48 hours a week. I Absolutely. have to sign a rider to my contract that says I am willing to uh, average my hours because sometimes uh, like an average rehearsal week basic rehearsal week for a stage manager is about 52 hours because uh, that includes all your rehearsal time plus prep time Absolutely. stuff like that another thing that was in the declined uh, ratif- uh, ratification was uh, de- redefining stage management prep hours basically pr- like protecting kind of the extra hours that the stage managers sure, have to yeah. work a bit would be uh, a super great thing and then kind of the main thing is I think 
equity really needs to keep going with the not in our space stuff, make sure, because there's been a lot of stuff in uh, the theater industry recently and all that sort of stuff, just kind of for, like protecting and different programs and ways for people to talk about it, reach out, find support and help. And I mean, it's definitely going in that direction, but just keep yeah. continuing to push it. Yeah, pushing that I think way. the idea that, again, everybody, equity or not, whatever, but you are, you are a person at work. Yes. You are a worker at work, mm -hmm. and you're afforded all the mm -hmm. protections of somebody who is at work in a workplace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And not in our space. Yeah. Kind of in a lot of things around being a worker in a workplace. Absolutely. Uh, because uh, there's definitely a mentality of they all love it. They do it for the art. It's just which, the theater. It's just and, the art. Uh, it's, no, actually, we're no. being paid to be here to do a job, and we should be yeah. uh, protected in various ways. Whether and, you're in an office uh, or at Starbucks yeah. or in the theater, you're still working right now. So. Um, so yeah, going cool. right direction, but definitely more of that Push would be great. Awesome. Um, I'm probably going to get all union and passionate here. So give me <laughs> That's fine. Do it. The union panel. This is the time. Um, I uh, another, going back to your one of your earlier questions. Another one of the big reasons why I decided to join when I did is because I was seeing a lot of those really positive changes for IATSE 58. I'm sh and I really enjoy the fact that you can, and I say this without any sarcasm, I enjoy the fact that you can talk to any single person in this industry and they will have a story about working with IATSE Local 58, good or bad, because I think those stories, we're actually in a stage where we're learning from it now. And um, the fact that I've been catching for eight years and in the last two, they've brought in over 20 new skilled apprentices that are young or not young, but are new to the union, and every single one of us has a skill in something and are really good at it. And for example, my group is a group of five of us, and I am the lighting person. There are two sound guys, one that rigs and one that does video as well. There's one amazingly skilled AV guy, and there's one amazingly skilled rigger and carpenter. And that is my apprentice group. And that's what every apprentice group is looking more and more like as we come in. So it's not the son of this guy, the mm. other son of that guy. Like that, those days are so far behind us. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so excited for more of that, as well as um, involvement with, um, with committees being open to young workers. Like the Young Workers Committee is, is a huge resource for us. Um, and our involvement in the community with fundraising and like when the, when Mayor John Tory asked for donations for the Red Cross for Parliament, the building on Parliament that had the electrical fire, we started fundraising on our picket lines and collecting donations to, to, to submit to that cause. Like we, we realized that we have, um, I would say privilege and we, uh, negotiate very well for ourselves to live in a city that is very expensive and we give back to that community because we're stronger for it. So, um, as, and the education initiatives have taken off ridiculously in the last little while too. Um, working at Heights was mandatory, but it definitely made the education committee work like a machine to ensure that all of us have exactly what we need and more, which is really exciting. So, um, I think it's, it's a cool time to be a member and just as an, a new apprentice and now learning like the union value side of it and the being part of a labor movement side of it. Um, I'm coming up with all sorts of values I didn't even know I had that are <laughs> that are really cool and coming yeah. out of out mm -hmm. of the IATSE being. So it's I think um, I think we're definitely moving in the right direction quickly, and I hope um, the industry embraces that and starts seeing that as we move forward as well. Cool, because obviously um, you know there has been a certain perception among some people as 
uh, Etsy being old crotchety mm-hmm. tech men technicians who are really hard to work with whatever and you're we're trying to yeah. move past that we're trying to yeah definitely and and um and we have resources of what to do if you feel like you have a crew full of of people that are not capable awesome. of doing the job like like you are awesome. if, if you end up in one of those situations where like um one of my other friends in the freelance world talking about the exhibition grounds was saying well you know i got a lighting board operator that couldn't operate the lighting board and i said well did you call the business agent and tell them that well no because politics and i was like well if you're, if, you're, if you're treating us like the union of 40 years ago, then we're going to not be able to improve to the union we are today. So that person may be able to keep going out on lighting board calls because people aren't reporting to them because they think, oh, I atsy. No, you have to hold us to the standard mm-hmm. that we're... And like I said, with all of these new apprentices, we have the skill set to do the job correctly. People slip through the cracks because we're, there's one guy responsible for filling up to 400 calls a day. So it's not per- a perfect system sometimes. But, uh, but no, we're definitely moving in the right direction in a lot of ways. And cool. uh, I'm excited about it. And cool. no system is perfect. And right? no system like, is perfect. I've, I've, had, I've had that problem in non-union theaters. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you have less recourse in a non-union theater. Exactly. Right? Because yeah, everything is yeah. personal. And it's not, it's not call a business agent get them kicked off a call, mm-hmm. right? It's go to this person and say, you know, mm-hmm. this friend of yours that you hired. <laughs> yeah. no and, and so if anything, I find when I've run into that problem, it's harder in a non-union theater to address issues than it is. Well, for me, you just go to Eric and you say, hey, Eric, this is He's like, well, I know Chris. He's fine. Yeah, I know, Simon. Stop talking about me. (laughs) Never. Um, Moving on. Uh, Simon? Um, I I mean, I think uh, certainly I'd love to see every designer in the country join ADC. Um, We we have strength in numbers when we don't represent everybody um, or when we represent too small a portion of the of the design community, we lose our uh, our capacity to negotiate effectively mm. with PACT because they're not obligated to negotiate with us. Um, we Our strength exists only in the number of designers that are our members. Um, and, and we are growing and that is helping give us a level of clout, but it's always a constant fight. I think as an organization, there's always room for growth. There's more initiatives. There's I'd love to see more members get involved at a high level in terms of bringing things forward and trying to, to bring us suggestions or get engaged in an activity that they're interested in. I think thinking long-term about what we do as an organization, I think education for the industry as a whole is an incredibly important value for us. Far too often, I mean, lighting designers, sorry, I just hit my mic. Uh, As a lighting designer, I'm very lucky that the people who came before me as lighting designers worked very hard to define the separation between what it is to be a lighting designer and to be an electrician. Mm. And I benefit from that. But I'm so incredibly conscious of my colleagues, particularly costume designers and increasingly video designers and sound Mm. designers who are working in an environment where their employers don't understand that there's a difference between being a costume designer and being a head of wardrobe. Oh, yep. yeah. And that if you're asked to stitch a costume, that's not that's not design work anymore. That's yeah, yeah. the execution of design. It's a technical task. And it doesn't mean that we don't all have skills that cross over. I have been in situations as a lighting designer where I can hang my I'm asked to hang my own lights and I do double duty. But at no point in that process I think, does somebody say, oh, well, you're the lighting designer, so you're also going to hang the lights. There's an mm-hmm. understanding that 
I'm choosing to do that second task and I have the capacity to either say yes or no to that. And I, I, uh, I think it's so important for us to recognize amongst uh, the other disciplines that you may be able to engage your costume designer to also stitch, but that that is not the same thing yeah. as hiring them to be a costume designer. And so that kind of recognition and that sort of understanding in a community as a whole is I think where I'd really like to see us as an organization move uh, or to be able to really get traction. Yeah, one of those like helping that education. We can, you can do other things, but you have to pay more for that or whatever. Yeah, or, whatever it is. Right? Yeah, that's however just, it is. It's nothing else to acknowledge that Recognize. one isn't necessarily yeah. driven from the other. So totally. it's, it's a bit about how we as an organization can better inform and better educate our community. Totally. Awesome. Um, so I think that's a pretty comprehensive look at uh, unions and associations that we're going to get. Uh, we didn't have quite as many uh, audience questions this time, but obviously uh, everyone is welcome to stick around. We can all chat about unions and associations. Um, but does yeah, does someone want to say something right now? Oh my god. Okay, I know we want to wrap it up, but I just we just talked about things that we need to change within the organization. Yeah. Uh, can I just throw a softball question, obviously mostly to Sally, to talk about exhibition plays? Yay. Things that you want to change <laughs> with your your association or union's interaction with the commu larger theater community and with the, the the folks that engage members of your association. Yeah, and to be clear, do we have time um, for that? Just oh, yeah. cool, thanks. To follow, yeah, just to follow, follow up on that question as well. Um, obviously, there's somewhat of a uh, elephant in the room <laughs> about the fact that we haven't talked about 58 Locked Out. That's definitely uh, part of the end conversation of this whole thing. So, real quickly, yeah, specifically, um, if you want to chat about um, what's going on right my, now. Yeah, my main my main soundbite about uh, about the exhibition uh, hashtag 58 Locked Out. Uh, obviously, the lockout at exhibition grounds is a good example of when contract negotiations does not go well. Um, both sides don't always see eye to eye, and the employer has the right to lock us out, just like we have the right to strike. Um, in this case, um, the, in the exhibition grounds case specifically, the the lockout feels much bigger than us. It's not about overtime. It's not about hours. It's not about making more money. It's not about any one thing in the contract. It's that they don't want to be using a union representation anymore. And we are, as a local, uh, willing to move on all of those points. We've given many options of the contract that uh, involve changes of those points, and all they want to do is give our jobs away to somebody else. Um, so that's, that's where that comes in. So to answer your question as far as relationships with the public, um, I've been hugely overwhelmed by the support that we've had from the non-union um, non industry as a whole and um, with workers from Toronto not crossing our picket lines and forcing them to bring in workers from out of province. Uh, I, for me, that's where this should have ended. If nobody's sitting on the sidelines going, ooh, look, juicy IATSE contract, let's take that. Um, there is a balance to the industry and I think the Exhibition Grounds is trying to displace it. But uh, so... Keep doing what you're doing as far as supporting us and not going to the events there until this is all solidified. If you hear about workers that are crossing the picket lines to do our jobs or clients that are, are doing that, um, feel free to give that information to us. It does help us in this process. And the next biggest part of this is it's going to become a lot more political because our, mm. we're looking at 
our main hope being a whole new government because if the CNE didn't end it and it hasn't ended since, we're, we're going to need a new board of governors that starts seeing eye to eye. So just be aware that this is not just attack on a union, it is an attack on the, the live events industry as a whole um, and, our right to, and our right to work and be treated like a worker at work yeah. and yeah. not get paid $10 an hour for a job. So just be aware of your, your political writings and whatever those end up being. Um, <laughs> God help us. And, uh, we'll find out on October 23rd. Right? <laughs> exactly. And um, and think carefully about who you're supporting in this upcoming election and, and what their stance is on, um, on the lockout, whether or not your personal opinions align with the lockout. Realize that it is uh, something bigger. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but I think from what I was looking at, this is the first of a series of contract negotiations at the exhibition place. Yeah. And so... The what as a bit of an outsider looking at it, my sense is that it, it suggests as though this is the canary in the coal mine for what is likely to be a series of anti-union, yeah. anti-labor moves as each of these contracts comes up to yeah. try to kick each and every one of them yeah. out in sequence. Yeah. And I think it's really it's really important that we recognize not just within the entertainment industry, but but. Uh, uh, citywide and countrywide, the importance of respecting the labor movement. If we look south of the border to the sort of, I would say a word that's less kind, bad things that are happening <laughs> in a lot of the states around right to work legislation and around union busting and around trying to uh, displace workers or ensure that they're paid as little as possible, I think we have to be really careful in this country uh, to not let that happen. And that's, that's countrywide, and then I think we have to recognize within the entertainment industry, there is a reason why all of the associations exist and why they have, they have come to bear. And we're not as unionized in this country in the entertainment industry as the United States. They have far more union representation there than we do. We have more associations. Um, but people do this because they're passionate about it, and we love that we get to do this. And as a consequence, that makes us so much more prone to exploitation from our employers mm -hmm. because we love it. And mm -hmm. so we're willing to do shitty jobs for no pay. And the reason the unions and associations exist is to be able to stand up against producers who are willing to do that and to say, no, there is a fair pay. There mm -hmm. is something that's reasonable. Yeah. And that we're going to stand up for you as a collective yeah. and ensure that you're not being taken advantage of by unscrupulous producers. Yeah, like let's be clear, um, 58 has shown that they're willing to negotiate and move forward. They're not like the stuck in their ways, like we demand it on our own terms, a union that you know sometimes is mm -hmm. stereotyped as or of the past. They've been willing to negotiate, so... Uh, and just because the CNE is over does not mean the lockout is over. Exactly. So uh, let's just—I mean, from the bellows, think. Absolutely. We, we support. We support. Unions. Don't we support cross picket lines. 58. Don't cross. Uh, we can even post a list of uh, the uh, venues that are affected. Mm -hmm. um, but, and upcoming uh, events. And the upcoming events. Thank but, you. Uh, we are all the working class. So yeah. And Simon, I, I can give a shout out to Simon because he's actually been out on our picket lines with us um, and has, has Rebecca. 
um, to our rallies. So our picket lines and our, our rallies are open to anybody, not just members. We're definitely looking for numbers because we are small. So if you're interested yeah. in that and coming out. Yeah, how do we find out it. how to come out? Um, you can message me directly, Sally mm-hmm. Roberts on Facebook. You can message the IATSE 58 Facebook page. Uh, you can email any of the people in the office, IATSE58.org. Um, Maybe the Bellas will put it out. Um, yeah, yeah, the Bellas will also put out a post. Definitely, because we've got cool. picket lines almost every day at every event. So Great. Great. And we do have other contracts in the city to fulfill, which yeah. is the hard part. And also educating your um, your friends and family around you, because mm-hmm. our, one of the, the huge hurdle we're facing is like, no, this is what we do. This is how the industry works. This is how, why it matters. And this is why we're locked out. And yeah. that's how yeah. long it takes to get to this conversation. Whereas when I'm in a room full of peers, as Simon said, you understand... Yeah. what the industry is and why we're essential. So mm-hmm. um, um, so that's that, that's the ways you can and help I think Simon is sure. right. This is going to become a thing yeah. in the future, in it's, the near future. So please, yeah, come well, in. Well, and you don't want all of us getting our work taken away because then we're going to jump into the freelance <laughs> industry and, yeah. and, like, and the whole balance gets thrown off. The whole balance gets thrown off. the same class. So we are uh, in an increasingly conservative time yeah. and there are increasing pressures in the political world to privatize and to um, to uh, kill off unions or public uh, publicly employed people yes and I think it's really important for us to recognize that that is about wage depression mm-hmm. and it's about exploitation mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. about profiteering and it's important for us as a broader community to stand up and say that profiteering is not okay yeah. and that that everybody who is working in, just in this industry or in any industry is entitled to a fair, reasonable living wage, yeah. whatever that means in any given city mm-hmm. or in any given context. Exactly. But that yeah. CEOs making, what is it, 190 times the average worker salary is insane. And yep. mm-hmm. And, you know, however people feel about what people should be getting paid or whatever, us letting private interests do it willingly, like, it, we can't negotiate against ourselves. Yeah. We have to stand up for We're ourselves. We're only as strong say, as all of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. For the love of God, please, join together. Uh, let's go out on that. Yeah. Hopeful, not hopeful <laughs> note. I don't know. Well, uh, I, I mean... The people united will never be defeated. Most <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roundup. If I want to join Equity, how do I do it? Uh, you can call the office. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's probably the best way. Call the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have there's an office here in Toronto. There's also a Western office. And I can just look at the website. Uh, and all you can just look at the website caea.com and say I want to join. Tell me more information. Or you can just browse their website and there's stuff about how to join on there too. Great. How do I join the union? Um, head to the office at 511 Adelaide Street West, right across from Factory Theater. So close. Um, <laughs> it's so close. It's so nice. So close. Um, there's permit applications there. Bring a resume. Um, you can email your resume into the business agent. Uh, if you know anyone who's a member or working, shoot us a message. Let us know you're interested. Uh, it is a little bit of a who you know that way as well. We can, mm-hmm. you can send your name on busy days and put the ACC dates in your calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Hot tips from Sally Roberts. <laughs> How do I join the ADC? <coughs> uh, designers.ca is mm-hmm. our website. Uh, pop over there. Gail Packwood is our executive director. She's always happy to 
answer any questions about membership or to accept a membership application. Mm -hmm. Talk to designers you've worked with. There are inevitably ADC members in your history. Um, or give myself or mm -hmm. Ken McKenzie, our president, a ring or an email. Mm -hmm. We're happy to talk to anybody at any time about how to become a member. That's great. Hard. And like, not to brag about it, but like, Gail's coming back for our panel on contracts and fees in May. Oh, cool. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> I just Excellent. asked her. It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. We did another panel, Chris. Yeah. Thank you guys Rebecca, so much. Rebecca, we nailed this. this. Thank you for being here. Hope thank you to our panelists. Yeah, thank you to our panelists. Megan Speakman, Sally Roberts, Simon Rossiter. You guys are class act. That was another Bellows discussion about unions and associations. Next time, a wonderful discussion with projection designer Jamie Nesbitt. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at thetitleblockca and on facebook.com slash thetitleblockpodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. <laughs>